0: They were continuing with The Wonder Book, Stories for Boys and Girls by Nathaniel Hawthorne, The Gorgon's Head. Perseus looked earnestly through the dusk of the evening, and there, sure enough, at no great distance off, he described the three grey women. The light being so faint, he could not well make out what sort of figures they were, only he discovered that they had long grey hair. And, as they came nearer, he saw that two of them had but the empty socket of an eye in the middle of their foreheads. But in the middle of the third sister's forehead there was a very large, bright, and piercing eye, which sparkled like a great diamond in a ring. And so penetrating did it seem to be that Perseus could not help thinking it must possess the gift of seeing in the darkest midnight, just as perfectly as at noonday. The sight of three persons' eyes was melted and collected into that single one. Thus the three old dames got along about as comfortably upon the whole, as if they could all see at once. She who chanced to have the eye in her forehead, led the other two by the hands, peeping sharply about her, all the while, insomuch that Perseus dreaded lest she should see right through the thick clump of bushes behind which he and Quicksilver had hidden themselves. My stars, it was positively terrible to be within reach of so very sharp an eye! But— Before they reached the clump of bushes, one of the three gray women spoke. "'Sister! Sister Scarecrow!' cried she. "'You have had the eye long enough. It is my turn now.' "'Let me keep it a moment longer, Sister Nightmare,' answered Scarecrow. "'I thought I had a glimpse of something behind that thick bush.' "'Well, and what of that?' reported Nightmare peevishly. "'Can't I see into a thick bush as easily as yourself?' The eye is mine as well as yours, and I know the use of it as well as you, or maybe a little better. I insist on taking a peep immediately." But here the third sister, whose name was Shakejoint, began to complain, and said it was her turn to have the eye, and that Scarecrow and Nightmare wanted to keep it all to themselves. To end the dispute, old dame Scarecrow took the eye out of her forehead and held it forth in her hand. "'Take it, one of you,' cried she, and quit this foolish quarreling. For my part, I shall be glad of a little thick darkness. Take it quickly, however, or I must clap it into my own head again. Accordingly, both Nightmare and Shakejoint put out their hands, groping eagerly to snatch the eye out of the hand of Scarecrow. But, being both alike blind, they could not easily find where Scarecrow's hand was, and Scarecrow, being now just as much in the dark as Shakejoint and Nightmare, could not at once meet either of their hands in order to put the eye into it. Thus, As you will see with half an eye, my wise little auditors, these good old dames had fallen into a strange perplexity, for though the eye shone and glistened like a star as Scarecrow held it out, yet the grey women caught not the least glimpse of its light, and were all three in utter darkness from too impatient a desire to see. Quicksilver was so much tickled at beholding Shake-Joint and Nightmare both groping for the eye, and each finding fault with Scarecrow and one another, that he could scarcely help laughing aloud. "'Now is your time,' he whispered to Perseus. "'Quick, quick, before they clap the eye into either of their heads, rush out upon the old ladies and snatch it from Scarecrow's hand.' In an instant, while the three grey women were still scolding each other, Perseus leaped from behind the clump of bushes, and made himself master of the prize. The marvellous eye, as he held it in his hand, shone very brightly, and seemed to look into his face with a knowing air, and an expression, as if it would have winked, had it been provided with a pair of eyelids for that purpose. But the grey women knew nothing of what happened, and each supposing that one of her sisters was in possession of the eye, they began their quarrel anew, And at last, as Perseus did not wish to put these respectable dames to greater inconvenience than was really necessary, he thought it right to explain the matter. "'My good ladies,' said he, "'pray do not be angry with one another. If anybody is in fault, it is myself, for I have the honor to hold your very brilliant and excellent eye in my own hand.' "'You! You have our eye! And who are you?' screamed the three grey women, all in a breath. For they were terribly frightened, of course, at hearing a strange voice, and discovering that their eyesight had gotten to the hands of who they could guess not whom. "'Oh, what shall we do, sisters, what shall we do? We are all in the dark. Give us our eye, give us our one precious solitary eye. You have two of your own. Give us our eye!' Tell them, whispered Quicksilver to Perseus, that they shall have back the eye as soon as they direct you where to find the nymphs who have the flying slippers, the magic wallet, and the helmet of darkness. My dear good admirable old ladies, said Perseus, addressing the gray women, there is no occasion for putting yourselves into such a fright. I am by no means a bad young man. You shall have back your eye safe and sound, and as bright as ever, the moment you tell me where to find the nymphs. The nymphs? "'Goodness me! Sisters, what nymphs does he mean?' screamed Scarecrow. "'There are a great many nymphs,' people say. "'Some that go a-hunting in the woods, and some that live inside of trees. "'Some that have a comfortable home in fountains of water. "'We know nothing at all about them. "'We are three unfortunate old souls that go wandering about in the dusk, "'and never had but one eye amongst us, and that one you have stolen away. "'Oh, give it back, good stranger. Whoever you are, give it back!' All this while the three grey women were groping with their outstretched hands, trying their utmost to get hold of Perseus, but he took good care to keep out of their reach. "'My respectable dames,' said he, for his mother had taught him always to use the greatest civility. I hold your eye fast in my hand, and shall keep it safely for you, until you please to tell me where to find these nymphs. "'The nymphs, I mean, who keep the enchanted wallet, the flying slippers, and, uh, what is it, the the helmet of invisibility?' "'Mercy on us, sisters, what is the young man talking about?' exclaimed Scarecrow, nightmare and shank-joint, one to another, with the great appearance of astonishment. A pair of flying slippers, quoth he, his heels would quickly fly higher than his head if he were silly enough to put them on, and a helmet of invisibility.' How could a helmet make him invisible, unless it were big enough for him to hide under it? And an enchanted wallet? What sort of a contrivance may that be, I wonder? No, no, good stranger, we can tell you nothing of these marvellous things. You have two eyes of your own, and we have but a single one amongst us three. You can find out such wonders better than three blind old creatures like us. Perseus, hearing them talk in this way, began really to think that the grey women knew nothing of the matter— and, as it grieved him to have put so much to trouble, he was just on the point of restoring their eye and asking pardon for his rudeness in snatching it away. But Quicksilver caught his hand. "'Don't let them make a fool of you,' said he. "'These three grey women are the only persons in the world that can tell you where to find the nymphs. And unless you get that information, you will never succeed in cutting the head off of Medusa with the snaky locks. Keep fast hold of the eye, and all will go well.' as it turned out. Quicksilver was in the right. There are but a few things that people prize so much as they do their eyesight, and the grey women valued their single eye as highly as it had been half a dozen, which was the number they ought to have had. Finding that there was no other way of recovering it, they at last told Perseus what he wanted to know. No sooner had they done so than he immediately, and with the utmost respect, clapped the eye into the vacant socket of one of their foreheads, thanked them for their kindness, and bade them farewell. Before the young man was out of hearing, however, they had gotten to a new dispute, because he happened to have given the eye to Scarecrow, who had already taken her turn of it when their trouble with Perseus commenced. It is greatly to be feared that the three grey women were very much in the habit of disturbing their mutual harmony by the bickerings of this sort, which was the more pity, as they could not conveniently do without one another, and were evidently intended to be inseparable companions. As a general rule, I would advise all people, whether sisters or brothers, old or young, who chance to have but one eye amongst them, to cultivate forbearance, and not all insist upon peeping through it at once." Quicksilver and Perseus, in the meantime, were making the best of their way in the quest of the nymphs. The old dames had given them such particular directions that they were not long in finding them out. They proved to be very different persons from Nightmare, Shake-Joint, and Scarecrow. For instead of being old, they were young and beautiful, and instead of one eye among the sisterhood, each nymph had two exceedingly bright eyes of her own, with which she looked very kindly at Perseus.' They seemed to be acquainted with Quicksilver, and when he told them the adventure which Perseus had undertaken, they made no difficulty about giving him the valuable articles which were in their custody. In the first place they brought out what appeared to be a small purse made of deer skin, and curiously embroidered, and bade him be sure and keep it safe. This was the magic wallet. The nymphs next produced a pair of shoes, or slippers, or sandals, with a nice little pair of wings at the heel of each. Put them on, Perseus, said Quicksilver. You will find yourself as light-heeled as you can desire for the remainder of our journey. So Perseus proceeded to put on one of the slippers, while he laid the other on the ground by his side. Unexpectedly, however, this other slipper spread its wings, fluttered up off the ground, and would probably have flown away, if Quicksilver had not made a leap and luckily caught it in the air. Be more careful, said he, as he gave it back to Perseus. It would frighten the birds up aloft if they should see a flying slipper amongst them. When Perseus had got on both of these wonderful slippers, he was altogether too buoyant to tread on earth. Making a step or two, lo and behold, upward he popped into the air, high above the heads of Quicksilver and the nymphs, and found it very difficult to clamber down again. Winged slippers, and all such high-flying contrivances are seldom quite easy to manage, until one grows a little accustomed to them. Quicksilver laughed at his companion's involuntary activity, and told him that he must not be in so desperate a hurry, but must wait for the invisible helmet. The good-natured nymphs had the helmet, with its dark tuft of waving plumes, all in readiness to put upon his head. And now there happened about, oh, as wonderful an incident as anything I have yet told you, The instant before the helmet was put on, there stood Perseus, a beautiful young man, with golden ringlets and rosy cheeks, the crooked sword by his side, and the brightly polished shield upon his arm, a figure that seemed all made up of courage, sprightliness, and glorious at light. But when the helmet had descended over his white brow, there was no longer any Perseus to be seen, nothing but empty air. Even the helmet that had covered him with its invisibility had vanished. "'Where are you, Perseus?' asked Quicksilver. Why, here to be sure, answered Perseus, very quietly, although his voice seemed to come out of the transparent atmosphere, just where I was a moment ago. Don't you see me?" No, indeed, answered his friend. You are hidden under the helmet. But if I cannot see you, neither can the Gorgons. Follow me, therefore, and we will try your dexterity in using the winged slippers. With these words Quicksilver's cap spread its wings as if his head was about to fly away from his shoulders. But his whole figure rose lightly into the air, and Perseus followed. By the time they had ascended a few hundred feet, the young man began to feel what a delightful thing it was to leave the dull earth so far behind him, and to be able to flit about like a bird. It was now deep night. Perseus looked upward and saw the round, bright silvery moon, and thought that he should desire nothing better than to soar up there thither and spend his life there, then he looked downward again, and saw the earth, with its seas and lakes, and the silver courses of its rivers, and its snowy mountain peaks, and the breadths of the field, and the dark clusters of its woods, and its cities of white marble. And with the moonshine sleeping over the whole scene, it was as beautiful as the moon or any star could be. And among other objects, he saw the island of Seraphis, where his dear mother was. Sometimes he and Quicksilver approached a cloud that at a distance looked as if it was made of fleecy silver, although when they plunged into it they found themselves chilled and moistened with grey mist. So swift was their flight, however, that in an instant they emerged from the cloud into the moonlight again. Once a high-soaring eagle flew right against the invisible Perseus. The bravest sights were the meteors that gleamed suddenly out as if a bonfire had been kindled in the sky and made the moonshine pale for as much as a hundred miles around them. As the two companions flew onward, Perseus fancied that he could hear the rustle of a garment close by his side, and it was on the side opposite to the one where he beheld Quicksilver, yet only Quicksilver was visible. "'Whose garment is this?' inquired Perseus, "'that keeps rustling close beside me in the breeze.' "'Oh, it is my sister's,' answered Quicksilver. "'She is coming along with us, as I told you she would. We could do nothing without the help of my sister. You have no idea how wise she is.' she has such eyes, too. Why, she can see you at this moment, just as distinctly as if you were not invisible, and, I'd venture to say, she will be the first to discover the Gorgons. By this time, in their swift voyage through the air, they had come within sight of the great ocean and were soon flying over it. Far beneath them, the waves tossed themselves tumultuously in mid-sea, or rolled a white surf-line upon the long beaches." or foamed against the rocky cliffs with a roar that was thunderous, just in the lower world, although it became a gentle murmur, like the voice of a baby half asleep before it reached the ears of Perseus. Just then a voice spoke in the air close by him. It seemed to be a woman's voice, and it was melodious, although not exactly what might be called sweet, but grave and mild. Perseus, said the voice, there are the Gorgon's. Where? exclaimed Perseus. I cannot see them. On the shore of that island beneath you, replied the voice, a pebble, dropped from your hand, would strike in the midst of them. I told you she would be the first to discover them, said Quicksilver to Perseus, and there they are. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchantedlibrary. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.